Folks and welcome to episode Sticks in the Six. I'm your host Andrew Forbes here with my co-host Peter Barracchini and Peter. Another big week in the books. Uh, not that much to talk about in terms of hockey news, but uh, a lot that we can kind of bring up uh, discussions and get get the ball rolling on on certain things here in the hockey world. Yeah, I mean, I know we've had slow weeks in the past, but to me, this was like you know the slowest out of them all. But still, a lot of in, like you said, a lot of interesting notions and a lot of interesting talk has like come out about it. And you know what? It's considered like a 60, 65 point season when you're an 80 point guy. This is kind of like what we're in right now. Slow, slow kind of a day, but still a lot to talk about. Yeah, normally these would be called the dog days of summer, I guess. But uh, yeah. I mean, snowing outside here in London and... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, not not so much the the summer. I guess it would be the dog days of winter as we go into yet another snowy uh, time without uh, without any hockey to to really uh, discuss. You just mentioned snow. I looked out my window and it's starting to flurry right now. So yeah, we are going to get hard pretty soon right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's uh, I mean, like we said, you know, hopefully in the next uh, next little while we have an, an exact start date for the NHL season. But, uh, you know, ahead of that, we've got the World Juniors, which, um, you know, camps are underway for, for certain teams. Other teams are just naming their rosters. Um, big news out of Canada's camp uh, today is that a non-core member of the staff tests positive for COVID-19. Um Anybody that came into contact with them will be isolated for 14 days. Uh, they have uh, not tied them to any players or any core staff. So that's good news. That being said, obviously, you know, it's 2020 and here we go again with the COVID-19 talk. Yeah, I mean, again, I you wish for like a really quick recovery and that it's not like a severe case. So we're hoping that the person diagnosed and those that came in contact are fully healed or like come out out of, out of this a hundred percent. But again, you, you, it's something like this, it's very contagious. You can't let your guard down no matter, even if you're in a bubble, I mean, you run that risk in case somebody does get infected. You just can't let it. I mean, again, we're seeing the spikes because of COVID fatigue and everything like that. I get it we're all fed up. It took a big chunk out of our whole year and it took a lot from us, but we're still dealing with it. We got to, you know, do what we can in the meantime, but you know what? It happened even like just before the news broke. It happened just before the um, first game between red and white. And I'm there. I'm already set up to like watch the stream and everything on hockey Canada. And then all of a sudden I just look at my phone and there's like news reports saying that, you know, core member was tested positive. And it's like, oh, man, you have that thought in the back of your head. Did a player come in contact with it? How long was the interaction? Was it more than 15 minutes? So there's all these underlying factors. But they said that no players were affected. I mean, we're still hoping for that. But it's still, you know, something to be cautious about no matter where you are. Yeah, no, 100%. And uh, the Russians also named their, uh, I guess, camp roster. Um 
They've got 28 players coming to their training camp for the 2021 World Junior Championship in Edmonton, and that roster includes least prospect or least prospects, Rodian Amarov, uh, who was taken 15th overall at this year's NHL draft, uh, Mikhail Abramov, 115th in 2019, and goalie Artur Aktyamov, who was taken 106th this year uh, with for the Leafs. Thoughts on these three players potentially being a big part of the um, Russian squad? Um, where do I start off? Because, uh, you know what, let's just start with the big name that we all talk about, Rodion Amirov. I mean, I just told you before we went on the air, someone, uh, Alex Nunn on Twitter posted a really, really nasty clip of Rodion Amirov just fully making a defender look stupid. Cuts in front of the net, doesn't get a good shot off, but he almost still scores in that aspect. So, looking at Russia's top line, um... Stephen Ellis came, from the Hockey News came out with a really good projection for Russia's, you know, um, team for the World Junior Championships. And it looks like Afanasyev, uh, Kusnadinov, and uh, Podkolzin, Vasily Podkolzin, are projected to be their top line. And Rodin Amirov is, uh, is projected to be the second line left winger. And man, I am absolutely excited for that because he's paired up with Mikhail Abramov and, Chin- and uh, Igor Chinnikov. Noted first round uh, pick who's supposed to be, you know, a sixth or seventh. But um, you can't, there's nothing bad to say about Amirov. Like, I'm trying to find something, like, when you look at him play, you are just always in shock and awe. And granted, like, there are times where, you know, even when he's not getting his opportunities in in the in uh, Russia right now, because, you know, line rosters, projections, minimal minutes, whatever you call it. He still makes an impact despite the limited ice time. And the fact that he's constantly having a high motor and just keeps on going and going. I think you got that top line that I mentioned before of Russia. I think he could be the best forward for Russia at the end of the tournament when it's all said and done. He could be a top three player for them. And I'm just excited about this fact right now because... Some people had him as a top 10. Some people as a top, had him as a top 12. Where was he going to go? The fact that he dropped to 15, it, it just screams gold for Kyle Dubas right now. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And um, <clears throat> you mentioned it. He's going to be a top or top six forward for Russia. And and I think that's a, that's a big testament to what he's been able to do to start this season. And um you know, there's lots of video floating around uh, social media right now with what, uh, you know, the kinds of plays that he's making over there. And, and he's just seems so slippery in the offensive end at times. Like he just, he can, he can stick handle out of a phone booth at times. So, yeah. Um, you know, I think solid pick by the Leafs. I, I actually had him ranked higher. And I think the fact that he fell to 15th uh, and the Leafs were able to grab him, I mean, just goes to show you that, uh, you know, Maybe some of these uh, European prospects are sometimes overlooked, and and I think mm-hmm. he's a perfect example because he's a guy that maybe teams just weren't ready to to take t- or you know to to jump on, and and the Leafs were able to get him at 15, and and obviously I think he's going to be a he's going to be a solid pick. Um, that being said, I think it's exciting that we get to see Abramov play with him as well. Yes. Um, because I think he's going to just make his his uh, his you know game look that much better. Um. And not to say that it's not already, but, you know, he's a guy that the Leafs have been sitting on since 2019. You know, uh, give him a couple more years to really develop. 
<clears throat> excuse me. And, um, you know, I think it's just going to be great for him to get uh, to get that opportunity to play with a young guy like that and, and you know, potentially a, a future teammate as well in, in uh, Toronto. So, um, you know, that's exciting for the Leafs. And, you know, I'm starting to wonder who, who I'm going to cheer for at the World Juniors, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, Canada obviously is your number one, but, you know, you've got Nick Robertson on uh, on the U.S. squad potentially. Um You've got, you know, the three Leaf prospects uh, in Russia. You know, this could be the first year that I actually want the Russians to win. <laughs> That's, uh, I mean, it, it does make sense. You Like, again, like, obviously you want to cheer for your home, the country that you represent. You know, it's, it's, it's a normal fact of sports, whether you're watching, you know, World Hockey Championships, World Juniors, World Cup of Soccer, whatever. You always show that, like, you know, that pride whenever your country plays. But there's always that underlying factor where you want another team to suddenly win. And now that like uh, Russia has three Leaf prospects, Finland could have an abundance of Maple Leaf products uh, prospects as well. It's very interesting to see how things will go right now. And it it, it kind of changes for me every single year. Yeah, you always I always want Canada to win. But deep down, like last year, I was kind of rooting a bit for the U.S. because you know Nick Robertson. Finland with Mikko uh, Kokkonen. It's again, it, it's it's a very interesting aspect when every whenever something happens because you want the best of both worlds, but sometimes you just can't have it. Yeah, I mean, like like I said, you know, I'm I'm a little conflicted here going in. So um, I'm a guy who's always cheered for Canada no matter what. But uh, you know, this year I'm 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 getting a little taste of that, you know, that Finnish feel and that uh, you know that Russian factor. So. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what uh, what this tournament makes me do. Hey, it's 2020, and you know um, anything can happen. I guess, eh? Definitely. I mean, <laughs> there's no wrong answer in 2020. <laughs> let's be realistic. But just jumping back onto Mikhail Abramov for a second, um, it was an interesting pick at the fort, like fort, like in 2019. Um, I thought that you know he had like a really some really good upside. He had 54 points in 62 games in his, in his rookie year, you know, good, good numbers for someone who just came over uh, to the QMJHL. The fact that he broke out with 76 points, literally carried the Victoria Ville Tigres on his back. I think there, there was a major gap in points between him and the next forward in the standings and already right now, 11 points in six games with Victoria Ville. They still have a really good record, but because of the whole, COVID-19 game postponements and everything like that. Obviously their game time is limited. They've only played six games, but that's well over, you know, my math may be wrong, but jumping at the top of my head, that's almost close to a point per game, just under a point per game average for him. And he's continuing to get better every single year. If, okay, I'm not, again, not good with math whatsoever, but if we were to try and project that, to like you know a 62 game season because that's usually what the um, CHL usually play around 62 64 games I, I I believe yes 64 okay so I was right about that right about number one thing but if he continued to like have this sort of like pace of like you know double digit points in like a six game interval he could match and even possibly surpass what he had and the QMJHL is a very competitive league so. The fact that he's gaining more looks, and I, there was one clip that I saw, or that was posted online, I believe. Um, I don't want to say a name because I don't want to get it wrong, 
but he won a faceoff, just literally does a solo job himself, goes down the ice, curls back, lets a defender, you know, sort of like wander off, cuts back into the middle, and he scores. I believe it was three on three in overtime, and I'm like, man, how is he able to do that? Granted, this is junior. Granted, could he do that in the NHL? Maybe. We don't know, but as as soon as he starts to progress even more and gets more comfortable with what the Leafs have in store for him, he could be a really solid late-round pickup, and I'm really excited to see him and Amirov just tear it up on that second line right now. Yeah, no, I uh, I couldn't agree more. And, um, yeah, it's going to be, like I said, I think the, the thing with the Russians is that no matter what, they're always, they're always uh, an exciting team to watch. They've got that speed. Ne- might not always have that physical factor, but at the same time, they're not afraid to kind of go into those grimy areas and, uh, you know, just to, to add that little bit of maple leaf flavor to it this year, I think that's that's what's going to make it more exciting for, you know, folks like yourself and I who are, you know, big, uh, big leaf fans and want to want to see what the future holds for that team. So to be able to kind of see that and, and like you said, with with both guys on the same line, I mean, we're going to be really focused in on that second line of the Russian squad if that's the way that it, it uh, pans out. Oh, yeah. And again, when you always go into a tournament like this, it's always Canada, USA, Russia, Sweden, Finland that are always they're always in contention for, you know, winning gold. I th- looking at this right now, Russia's second line could match that of what, you know, their first line is. And they always have excellent depth. They always have someone in the second or third line role that always goes above and beyond because let's face it. They know how to de- develop really uh, great and strong prospects right now. So that they got that going for them every single year. They're always a threat, no matter who's on their roster. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And, uh, um, you know, kind of moving on from that, you and I have talked a lot over the last couple episodes about, uh, you know, potential players that could go overseas to play, um, whether it be from the OHL or, or another CHL league, um, just with the unknown kind of going on right now here in North mm-hmm. America. Um, we almost saw one of the top, uh, prospects for the 2021 NHL draft go over in Brant Clark. Um, there was a little bit of a debacle there in terms of he had a deal worked out overseas. He was ready to go. And then there was something in his clause back home, a clause in, in his deal back home that, uh, doesn't allow him to go play overseas. Um, you know, what what's your your thoughts surrounding you know the potential for a guy like Brant Clark, a, a top end pick, to uh, to go over there and, and you know get some game time in before this potential o- OHL season starts in the new year? Yeah, this was really crazy, and I'm still lost as to like not necessarily what happened, but how everything unfolded. I mean, there's a lot of excitement, a lot of excitement grew because, hey, you know, this is a potential first overall pick right now. And it's a draft that's completely wide open. Here's a chance for him to go over, play, get some game time until, you know, the OHL starts up. But it it looked like it was on loan. Then it went for like a full year, which I don't, I don't know how that happened. But then it just went to completely known void. He's not going over whatsoever. It doesn't quite make any sense why you wouldn't want him to go over in a draft year where he's, you know, in the mix to be the first overall pick. 
to try and, you know, get that feel going. And granted, uh, you, again, like you said, you don't know when the OHL is going to start up, whether it's January, February. This could potentially hurt him in his draft stock because Carson Lambos has already got a head start and he's playing well overseas. Owen Powers already, you know, being a, like a solid contributor for the University of Michigan right now. The fact that he hasn't played a game yet is not necessarily concerning because they are going to hold their camps, but his draft stock could take a hit if he doesn't get into that kind of form. Um, depending if you think that he is a legitimate first overall pick. But to still be that one step behind when you have two other players already playing in that top three, kind of like three-headed monster level uh, defenseman category, it's it could be damaging. I don't I don't understand why, you, like, even if you had his contract done, it, would it really hurt to just say, yeah, we're going to put you on loan? Yeah, so my understanding, um, he was he was headed over to the second uh, Sweden's second tier league um, to play with Vasby IK, uh, hockey Alsvin Scan, I guess in uh, in Sweden. Um, sorry if I didn't pronounce that properly. No, no, all good. Um, but uh, that being said, I guess so. My understanding is that. They had imposed the league had imposed a rule where um, that unless the player is under a current NHL or SHL contract, there will be no players allowed into the league on a loan basis. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think he had to sign. It would be a full transfer at that point, um, where he would have had to serve the full year over there. Um, and I, I, my understanding is that that was not of interest to the player, the team, or or the agent. Uh, at, at this point in time. So I, I guess from what they're saying, his agent, Randy Robitaille, former NHLer, uh, he's looking at uh, possible options to play other, like elsewhere for the time being until um, they get to, uh, you know, a point where, um, you know, maybe he can, he can build up that draft stock prior to the, the OHL season taking place. Again, the OHL is kind of up in the air right now in terms of what's going to go on there, but um, you know, obviously he's a guy that you want to see get out there and get some games and get some reps before, before his, his draft year. And, uh, you mentioned it, some of the other guys, uh, you know, among that top five right now in the, in the projections for the 2021 draft, they're already over there getting, uh, um, some time and some, uh, some games played. So, um, you know, unfortunate for Clark, but at the same time, um, you know, if the if the OHL doesn't figure out their stuff, maybe this is a, a potential a potential deal that he looks into further in going over there for the full year. Yeah, and I'm 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 assuming that you know, look what you said about like the contract situation with Brand Clark. They didn't have anything overseas. I'm assuming that you know, with a player like Carson Lambos, he had something underlying in his clause. I guess that if anything did happen, he would be eligible to go over. <clears throat> Yeah, that would be. I mean, that's my assumption. But okay. again, we're not we're not behind the we're not behind the um, the curtains on a lot of these things, so mm-hmm. we don't know the ins and the outs of all their 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 junior contracts and stuff like that. But you know, again, it's 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 a funny year right now with everything going on, and it's unfortunate that guys like that, you know, they're they're going to be the top guys in the game at some point. Yeah. You just you'd like to see these guys get some reps um, at at a, at a certain point. So. Um, either the OHL needs to figure out what's going on and figure their shit out, or or he needs to have an opportunity to go overseas and, and play the game because otherwise you got a, one of the top talents in the world 
sitting at home for the 2021 draft. Yeah, and if anyone is out there um, has seen Brent Clark play, I know I've seen him play like on multiple occasions, both at the OHL and at the GTHL level, where he was, you know, dominant with Shane Wright and Brendan Othman for the Don Mills Flyers. He is a special player. And when I saw him in his uh, tri- uh, his AAA year, when they just absolutely decimated the competition, this guy had like over 130 points. He was destined to be a potential first overall pick. I had no doubt in my mind. He's crazy good. He's very quick. He's very smart. He knows the, like how to like how to jump into the play, but he doesn't just. He doesn't just do it out of like, you know, I'm just going to do it. He plays it smart. He knows his options. He knows what's going to be available, what lanes to go, who to pass to. He's an absolutely smart player, but he's also really reliable in his own end. The fact that he hasn't played a game yet, and I said this before, it is concerning because with a a potential first overall pick, you want him to get as many games in as possible right now, whether you're in a certain situation like this or like let's say there was an, a lockout in the OHL you want him to get as many reps as possible it's it's I've never seen this before especially when it well again we're in very unprecedented times right now so people are trying to like figure out as they go what to do to maybe if something like this happens in the future you know you have a, like a precedent to follow oh remember what happened with Brand Clark we could try and go this route you know but yeah I mean it's really sad to see him not get any games whatsoever and, and and a lot of ohl players too not just him it's very it's very disappointing that you know they haven't figured anything out right now but the fact that he honestly i still have him as a first overall pick yeah i i, I don't think there's going to be any question as to him going you know at least top three mm-hmm. um but that being said like you still want him to be able to play the game. It's the same as having a guy like Thornton out there playing in, in uh, Switzerland right now. Like he's a guy that wants to get mm-hmm. the reps in and wants to be, you know, game ready when, when the season gets underway. So if you're, yeah. you know, if you're an OHL fan right now, you don't want to Brant Clark coming in, you know, with the same kind of rest as like, you know, your bottom six guys on, on, you know, any given team, you want him to come in and top end player um, with the potential to be, you know, that top defenseman in the league. So, um, you know, I, I just think I just think, like you said, you he's a guy that you want to get out there and, and see what he's got and, and allow him to play the game. Because otherwise, like I said, you know, he's he's sitting at home and, um, you know, not getting the reps that he needs to, to to really develop his game. He's still a young player. He's still got areas where he can he can improve. And uh, the only way to do that is to get him out there and, and have him play. And we talked about this, I believe, last week or the week before when, you know, we found out that Owen Power wasn't going to be released from the University of Michigan to attend Team Canada's camp. This would have been a perfect opportunity to not necessarily, like, give his spot away, but you could have given that spot to Brent Clark. At least have him, you know, get his feet moving, get him an opportunity to maybe, you know, come up and possibly make an impact with team Canada kind of like with Jamie Dryzo and his draft year last year you don't know what you could expect from him he could have pushed a lot of people out of to the side and make the roster yeah at least he would have gotten some reps in he would have gotten some meaningful games in playing one of the biggest tournaments of a junior hockey player's career it's again I don't understand how this can happen 
Because now, if you're a scout, obviously you have like your viewings of him last year to like try and try and project on where he's going to be this year. But this year, it's going to be a limited viewing, and scouting is going to be different. It's going to be all virtual. You can't have any players in, or any scouts in to watch the games, no matter what. So, if you're a scout right now, do you see an improvement from last year in the way Carson Lambos played, Owen Power played, or Brand Clark has played? You see a major step that two other players have taken, but not for the other one. So, yeah. when you got that going for you, and you're trying to project or make a rankings, I mean, obviously, my viewing is based on the GTHL and last season. I still think he's number one. Someone else may not see that way. They may think that Carson Lambos is number one. Uh, Owen Powers number two. Brand Clark could be going down the list. He could be six because of that viewing. It's, it's, it's a weird situation, man. Yeah, no, I just think there's, like I said, it's, it's a funny year. So obviously, you know, there's yeah. a lot of, a lot of questions and ifs and, and what ifs and uh, all that kind of going on right now. But um, obviously, you know, it's something that you want to you want to see your best players out there. And right now, in terms of what the world has to offer in in, in the game of hockey, um, you know, he's one of the, the up and comers. He's one of the guys that you're going to be talking about in a few years at, at the NHL level. And mm-hmm. I just think it'd be nice to get his his feet on the ice and see what he can do and what he can offer, you know, in a time where, you know, People are looking for things to, to, to kind of get them excited. Loki, I just really wanted Brand Clark to be there so he could be reunited with Shane Wright, so they could just rip it up like they did in the junior in the you know their <laughs> their GTHL days, man. Because honestly, I watched Shane Wright yesterday. He looks pretty good. I honestly oh, think yeah. that this kid can make the roster right now. So I'm just throwing that out there right now. If Shane Wright is 16, 17-year-old, is coming in, doing things like that, Brand Clark, I'm pretty sure he would have made an impact no matter what. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. Um, and kind of going off that point with with players traveling overseas, uh, Mason McTavish, another 2021 uh draft eligible player um he's headed over while well, he's practicing over in switzerland right now with lugano um or he's he's sorry he's headed over to to switzerland um again he's he's a canadian player but uh he he was born in switzerland which gives him the swiss player license mm-hmm. um so i mean that kind of goes off of what we were talking about with brant clark um obviously he's got the ability to uh to, to play over there and, and to be uh, to be a guy that can get out there and get a get a roster spot. So, um, you know, I, I think like we, we've talked about this, I think there's going to be a lot of players just with that unknown kind of making that move and, and going overseas and, and seeing what uh, what options they have over there, at least until the season starts. Um, again, if if the season starts over here with the OHL and and there is no contact. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some of the players stay overseas just because of yeah. the uh, the potential for uh, a better development. Yeah, and there goes like not just like draft eligible players, but players you know um, who who are still like fighting for a roster spot or like trying to that could be overagers or everybody else in the OHL. You got a massive amount of OHL players looking for a job overseas right now. And Europe, Europe, Russia, no matter which league you're going to right now, the Swiss league, 
they're going to be full of uh, uh, roster spots. And I don't know if like they're going to get a lot of game time, no matter what, because they got their roster players to worry about as well. So OHL better figure something out because if it does lock down, there's going to be a lot of players looking for work elsewhere. I mean, it's going to be really damaging to them. And yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, just to hold off on that for a second, just touching up on McTavish right now, this is good for him because he's projected to be kind of like a mid round, first round pick. So this is his opportunity to try and, you know, improve his stock. Um, I know that I also saw possibly that Brennan Othman could be going as well. Uh, that's still a very early, early rumor. Um, I know I saw Josh Bell mention that online, a former draft guru, but still a draft guru no matter what. Um, mentioned that in the link that Brennan Othman could be going as well. That was reported by Elite Prospects. So it's really, again, it's, I mean, it's nothing new that I'm going to say before. It's just really unprecedented how we're at the stage right now where not just him, but many OHLers could follow suit if no hitting is involved. And that's going to be really damaging to one of the like more prominent developmental leagues for players to go into the NHL. Well, not only that, but uh, you, you lose the, uh, you lose those top players in, at the OHL level, but also those are players that are going overseas and taking up spots for other potential players yeah. that, you know, could either one, that that's their livelihood over there too. They could be looking to make a noise overseas as well. So mm-hmm. um, it, it really like, it's just a, it's a real travesty in my opinion to, to, to kind of be where we're at right now. But again, out of our control a little bit. Um, obviously, you don't want to see guys like McTavish and Othman go over overseas, um, you know, long term. But, um, you know, with, with what's going on over here right now, you, you really just don't know what, what uh, could could happen to these players and, and uh, what their long-term plans are. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, like... Like you, like when you come to the NHL, you want to, like, take a job away from somebody because, you know, you want to... This is what everybody's led for. But for other players overseas, that's all that they could probably get to. That's how far that they could probably go in their career. And they don't want that. They, for sure, they don't want that job taken away from them. I mean, I mean, same in the NHL. Nobody wants to have their job, you know, battled out by, by like, you know, a uh, 19, 20 year old, even though that they've been in the league for some time. Yeah, it's. We're 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 in crazy times right now. It's like, yeah, we see this every often, every single year, players battling for spots and everything like that. But this is going to be more competitive and more more of a factor than we thought it would ever be, considering now that one league is still on the fence. You know, yeah, I, I'm even. You could even even look at to the WHL too. I think they seem to be more um, in they have more of a vision of how they want to play the year out. But it's just, it, again, it's a total mess, man. I, 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 I can't say anything more. Yeah. I think just right now, there's far too many questions going on with uh, the OHL and, and what's uh, when it's coming back, what, uh, what the expectations are when it does come back, um, what rules are going to be placed, what, what's going to be different. Um, yeah. There's just, there's way too many questions right now. And I think that's, yeah. that's why there's, there's a lot of players that are just, you know, they want to, they want to look out for what's best for them. And, and uh, you know, you, you're going to see a lot of these guys kind of making that move. If, if it's a possibility for them. If you haven't 
listened to the past two episodes where we talked about kind of like the OHL and everything like that, I suggest you go back because we had a lot to say about that. Just saying. Yeah, no, hundred percent head back and and check out some of the episodes. Obviously, you know, we had uh, one of our top episodes right now. We had uh, a potential OHL player, uh, um, uh, Gavin Bryant on, uh, he just was drafted to Owen Sound. He he talked about the excitement of joining the OHL and and uh, you know it's 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 tough for guys like that as well who are just looking to make their first move in, into the uh, major junior and and might not get that opportunity until uh, next season. So um, you know check out those yeah. episodes and and, and uh, you know get involved in the conversation. Like we want to hear what your thoughts are on this OHL. Uh, possibility of no contact uh when it when it's getting started all these players going overseas what what are your thoughts on on all of that mm-hmm. um but uh you know kind of going off of that into into the nhl off season um the score just released an article about how the nhl off season could make itself a little bit more exciting kind of to to replicate what the nba does on on a yearly basis um, some of the things they talked about was revamping the salary cap, having a soft cap, uh, a rolling cap, you know, contract changes instead of an eight year maximum or seven year for for uh, non-team uh, UFAs have a five year maximum, have player opt out um, uh, contracts, uh, lower free agency age um what what are your thoughts here? I, I just quickly off of the top of my head, my my thought is, you know, obviously it'd be it'd be fun to see. It'd be a lot of a lot of uh, fun each and every off season to keep things interesting, um, to say the least. But my thought process here is, uh, look at where the NBA is versus the NHL right now. In the mm-hmm. NHL, there's so much more parity, and anybody could win on any given year. Like. For example, nobody expected the Vancouver Canucks in 2019-20 to be the Vancouver Canucks they were. Um, whereas yeah. in the NBA, and don't get me wrong, I love watching basketball, but um, you know, you you kind of have an idea of who your final four are going to be year in and year out. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I, the example I, I want to bring up is like a guy like, you know, it, it's a player-driven league. Whereas the NHL is more of a um, team oriented. It's a team oriented league, yeah. and, and you're not you're not seeing these guys sign for thirty million a year for a reason. Um, the mm-hmm. reason they have the the hard cap in place is because um, you know they want to create that league parity. They don't want it to get out of control because at one point it was, and and at that point it's going to be it's going to be a player driven league just like the NBA. And that's not to say that the NBA is not doing their thing right. Um, you know, each league is going to be different and, and that's the way that they see that, you know, they can draw in their fans and they do draw in their fans. Yeah. Um, that said, you you get a team like the, you know, the Charlotte Hornets, you're not going to see the same amount of fans come out to that game, those games, because Charlotte's not a playoff squad. Um, you know, why, why would, I, why would fans want to go out and see a team that's going to lose on a nightly basis? Granted, you know, they've got some, they've done some great things this off season. Um, but you know, it, it just those are the questions that first arise to me. Um, you know, like I said, I think the NBA's or sorry, the NHL's got it right in, in terms of um, there's more loyalty. There's more loyalty. Yeah. Um, you know, you, players. There's a lot of players. Maybe not in today's game with all the young guys, but there were there were always more players that wanted to be. 
a part of their squad for an extended period of time and and win with their that team that drafted them that that brought them into the league that showed them that you know this is what it's like to be a pro um yeah. you know you see a guy like for example Gordon Hayward uh in the NBA he just signed a four year 120 million dollar contract with the 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 Hornets and uh, here's a guy who who's played little very little basketball over the last 3 seasons with the Celtics mm-hmm. um due to injury uh, but you know he's going to cash in at thirty million a year. Um, you know, for me that just I, I don't see where that makes sense. And from a from an ownership standpoint, from a money standpoint, from an economic standpoint, the financials in the NBA just don't make sense to me the way that they do in the NHL in terms of creating a great product. It's a good product. It's not mm-hmm. a great product. Um. Just throw it out another name out there. Fred Van Fleet signed four years, 85 million. So, yeah. The thing is with the NBA, I, I mean, you mentioned the Charlotte Hornets as well, but no matter where you are in the NBA, it's got a massive following. So, you know, you're getting the revenue in no matter what. And the the salary cap right now, like I'm just looking at it for the projection for the next season because they're slated to uh, kick off on December 22nd or have it ready up in time for games uh, for the Christmas, uh, you know, the tradition of Christmas Day games, right? 109.1 million is their salary cap. But with a luxury tax or kind of with a uh, soft cap, that jumps up to 132 million. 132.6 million. That is a lot of mu- that is a lot of room to grow, especially if you're a big name team like let's say the Toronto Maple Leafs, the New York Rangers, Montreal Canadiens that have that money. You have that more space to work with and add more players in. But another reason why I think it works for the NBA so much and not so much for the NHL, the roster size. You have a team of uh, uh, on the NBA of maybe like. 14, 18 guys don't, uh, 18 players don't get me wrong on the roster size, but it's it's very small compared to what the N, uh, NHL is, where you have a roster of 20 to 23 players. So you have that wiggle room to try and de- decrease money for one aspect and then try and give it to others. Um, if that were to happen in the NHL, you could maybe just see maybe roll three lines as opposed to four lines, which is you know not. We're, we're, we're going very crazy right now, but we're not saying anything is set in stone. But that, to me, that's how it would kind of work if you're in a soft cap era. Because let's face it, some teams can afford it. Other teams can't because other teams in the NHL are struggling more so than, you know, teams that are struggling in the NBA. To me, a rolling cap, and this is something that they mentioned in the article as well, makes more sense in a sense that if a team is still struggling to get players the extra space that they have could be added on next year and that can make them even more competitive. So uh, for example, um, the score, they use Ottawa senators as an example, they have 12.5 million under salary cap there, that extra 12.5 million, that space, if they don't use it, it could go to the next season and that could be their cap space to bring in a major free agent signing, like, um, I don't know, I'm just going to throw out, I think, Tuka Rask is a free agent. If they feel that Matt Murray isn't great, they could fork over the money to give to Tuka Rask and, you know, try and get that balance in and bring in a star player. But like you said, you know who's going to be available or you know who are the big players in the NBA every single year because you could have three or four star players on a roster 
compared to the NHL where maybe you could have two to three, you'll be lucky if you have four, like if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and sort of like change the balance of power of how you could manage the cap. And that to me is something really interesting to look at. Instead of a soft cap with a luxury tax, go with a rolling cap because I think that could make it to be more interesting. Yeah, I mean, like I kind of looked at that option as well. And the the one reason I kind of I, I still stay away from that is only because, um, you know, then you've got a team like the whole thing with the NHL right now is you have to build to the draft. If you want to get better, you have yeah. to build to the draft. And mm-hmm. it forces teams and management to, to focus on these young players and the potential that they have and bringing them in at the right the right time. Develop these players so that you don't have like you know, your one star player on every, on every team. And then 15 mediocre players behind him. For sure. Um, whereas, you know, like a team like Ottawa now, yeah, you know what? You went out and signed your goalie. You've got him for, for, you know, a few years to t- kind of get you past that hump, but you've got a guy like Thomas Shabbat. You've got like mm-hmm. Eric, Eric Branstrom, Branstrom coming in. Um, Colin you know, White, you got Colin White. Yeah. You've got uh uh to Chuck. You've got you've got that potential that you know what? Yeah, in three years you're gonna be an exciting team, but you have to pay the price for those three years to get that 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 much better. You're not just gonna go out on free agency day and say, you know what, we've got twelve and a half million to carry over from last season. Let's go sign one, potentially two players to massive yeah. deals and make ourselves better now for a year just so that in two years we're going to be bad again and our fans are going to get all frustrated again. That's that's we, that's, that's where I'm looking at it. Um, the one thing that I could see them potentially doing is maybe shortening the maximum contract to five yeah. years, let's say, and, and potentially adding player opt-outs on long-term deals. So, like, let's say anything over three years, that final year – gives you a player option as well. That would be the only other thing I could see them adding to kind of allow the players to be more in tune with what their, what their contract offers them uh, in a long-term deal. If they feel like, Hey, you know, those first three years, I put up 300 points. I want to, I want a better deal for that fourth year. Yeah, no. And, and I agree. And also just, I mean, when we were talking about the auto senators, we also forgot about Tim Stutzla. So you you could expect that in three years time, he's going to expect a big pay raise as well. So um, as I digress a little bit, but yeah, the, the, that, that to me is something that I think is more possible than maybe trying to change the salary cap or either to a softer rolling cap, whatever have you. Um, Five-year contracts, I think that would be really even more interesting as well because of the fact that, you know, you, you don't see the 13-year contract that Alex Ovechkin signed. You don't see the 15 years that Ilya Kovalchuk signed and then he opted out, like, or said he's retiring after two of them, right? That, to me, is absolutely ridiculous. And I'm so glad that they lowered it down to, like, a more respectable number, like seven or eight. But with five years, I think with that, you could also lower how um things work out in terms of like getting it could coincide with the lower ufa uh, factor as well so right now you need to be at least 27 years or older to be you know qualified for being right now you lower that age and let's say you're on your entry level contract and you sign five years and you just go a year over your 25th year that you're 25 years old you could be younger and still qualify to go and test the free agent market at a younger age. That to me, I think would make it more competitive, 
but the player opt-outs, man, I'm, I'm, I, I want to see this happen more because you see it in, even in baseball too, I think. And what would be amazing is imagine Connor McDavid opts out of the final year of his contract and says, no, I want to go to free agency and I want to sign in Toronto. How awesome would that be? I mean, yeah. even, even John Tavares, like he could have opted out of the last year of his contract with the Islanders and come to Toronto a year earlier and go to free agency. And then now this maybe this seven year contract wouldn't be as bad as we thought because they would lower it to one year, maybe instead of like when he's 35, it'll go to 34. Again, I'm, I'm not doing the math at the top of my head, right? But just roughly. How awesome would that be? Even, even I'm looking at Jack Eichel right now. He's sick and tired in Buffalo, probably, right? He's tired of losing. Off out of the final year. Go to a winning contending team. It's really interesting, and I would love to see that happen more often right now. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think those are like small things that you can add uh, in in the new CBA that would kind of make the offseason more exciting. I don't think you need to stretch it into changing the cap as a whole. I think I'm okay with the hard cap. I think it forces teams to really use their management team to understand like what the needs of the team are, what, you know, how, how they can get better through the draft. Maybe, yeah, maybe they sign that one big free agent that helps them kind of push them over the edge. But otherwise, they're, they're, they're using their young guys that they've drafted and, and spent all this money on scouts to go and watch. That's the, that's the whole – that's the beauty. Otherwise, guys like, you know, our, our former colleague Josh Bell wouldn't have reason to go and, and scout all these young players. Absolutely. Because what yeah. what do teams need that for if they're going to go out in free agency and sign these big name players for ridiculous contracts? And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying the NBA players shouldn't sign these massive deals that they're being offered. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what, Gordon Hayward, if you're you know that you've suffered injuries over the last three years and a team's willing to offer you thirty million a year for four years, I would take it too. Who wouldn't? I would take it too. At the age that he's at, knowing the, his history of injuries. I'm signing a $30 million contract regardless of it, of the fact that it's one-fifth of my team's salary cap. Yeah. You know, if, I, if I'm if i Fred Van Vliet, an undrafted player, I'm betting on myself 100 times over. Yeah, I'll take $85 million over the next four years. Don't get me wrong. I think they're great players. Um, do I think they're worth 30, let's say $25 million a year? Not, not, maybe not. Maybe not, yeah. But... That being said, the money's there in the, in a sport like the NBA. It's so international in, in in terms of you know having games in China and and, and things like that. That the money is there, and yeah. the ownership is there and willing to put put that money you know to good use. Then if you're a player, hundred percent, you're signing those contracts. I'm just saying, I don't think it works in the NHL because I don't think. I think you're going to lose some fan bases if your team is 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 a crappy team for mm-hmm. a number of years because they don't have the money to compete with, let's say, a, a, a team like the Maple Leafs. I mean, I mean, you 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 just said it right now. I mean, like teams are going to struggle. I mean, I mean, you look at the situation, the ownership ownership situation in Arizona right now. You really think they would survive in a cap situ in a different cap era? No, because. You know, like you said, they want parity to have other teams be competitive. So that way it's equal all the way across the board. And I understand that. But at some point right now, if the team isn't going to survive as well in this era or even in the next one, 
I'm, you're starting to think, what's the point of even having that team around? Maybe try and relocate. I mean, look at Vegas right now. Just a brand new uh, team that's like only two, three years old. They're already like one of the, I would say that, I, I don't know the figures, but based on how they're marketing everything, how they're selling the team, the brand and everything like that, they're probably a profitable team right now. It's how you, it's, it, to me, it all comes down to the ownership. And there are going to be some teams in the league where, in the NHL, where they are going to struggle no matter what the situation is. The NBA, I guess you could say that, you know, they're more invested in it, maybe more so than maybe other teams in the NHL. I don't know. Don't get me wrong. It's just something that's crossed my mind a couple times in the past and even while we're talking about it right now. But, I mean, I mean I'm just going to say this shout out to, Josh Wegman and Brandon Mar- uh, Marin for writing that article because man, I, I, I it's still so it's still interesting. It may not happen, but it's a really good talking point to have. And it's like you even look at MLB, like the players that move around sometimes too in the contracts they sign. That again, MLB is way on a different level than the NHL, and it also depends on the fact that you know they they and they even got a bigger roster size in the uh, NHL too. So, but it gets um, the whole point is it gets you thinking. It gets you thinking. It gets you dreaming about maybe the possibility of of that kind of stuff happening, especially in a league like the NHL that has more parity than most of the other, you know, big four in in North America. But uh, yeah, you know. Anyways, let's uh, let's jump off of that. Uh, We could talk on that (laughs) subject for probably days. We could probably talk about that next episode too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, we want to jump into a couple more talking points here with the with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Obviously, we touched on um, you know the three Russian prospects at World Junior Camps, uh, which is exciting for us, exciting for the Russians. Yeah. Um, but uh, on what what could create more news is the fact that Miko Lettinen and Jokerit have uh, agreed to terminate their contract uh, or his contract. Um, his KHL contract this season um, as he is set to head to Toronto and get ready for training camp uh, with the Leafs. Um, Exciting news. I I wrote about it and uh, obviously over at the hockey writers, you can find that article, but you know, I, as soon as I saw that I, I I wanted to, to read more because I wanted to know what exactly was going on. If he, he had, uh, you know, was he ready to, to come over to Toronto or was he just taking a quick break before he came over to Toronto? But he is set to come to Toronto, set to get on the ice with the Maple Leafs when they do open up training camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he's going to come over earlier so that he can get his quarantine out of the way and get ready to uh, play some hockey in blue and white. Um, this is exciting news, obviously, for the Maple Leafs and uh, and fans like like yourself and, and, and me, uh, Peter. Yeah, I mean... You wrote a really great article. I mean, I did a deep dive a couple of weeks ago. We talked about him on the THW Live. I mean, we could go on and on about this, but man, I'm really excited about this. I mean, given the fact that, you know, it makes sense. At first, I didn't I didn't expect it to happen because I would have thought that maybe he would have done it a little bit closer to when there's like an actual startup date. But then I realized there's also the 14 day quarantine that didn't take into account. Why? Because we're still in this COVID-19 era where you got to think at least two weeks in advance kind of thing. So that really didn't cross my mind until you brought it up right now. So I thought, oh, it doesn't make sense that, you know, he's opting out right now, but it does because he wants to like get that two week quarantine over. So that way, 
in maybe in those next two weeks, you have a startup date, he could start getting on the ice and practicing and everything like that. Honestly, I'm glad it's happened. And you know what? It's going to make this team a whole lot different. And again, from the clips that I've seen of him playing overseas, he is definitely going to make an impact. I mean, I mean, what else can I say? Um, <laughs> I really don't know. I'm at a loss of words right now, but it's going to come down to a lot of competition because now that he's coming in, I honestly think he could battle for a top four spot. But in that top four spot, someone's got to be pushed down. Who's who's it going to be? Is it going to be Justin Hall? Is Rasper Sandin going to see a spot? We don't even know right now. I thought that Rasper Sandin could be a roster player this year. At this point right now, I'm having second thoughts about it. Him coming over right now, I'm like I'm absolutely excited to see how he can translate that play to the North American ice. He's got all the room over there. Yeah, it's a little bit small over here, but man, I still think he could still wheel and deal, fly through the ice, you know, set up plays, be more aggressive than what we've had in the past in our own end. I mean, he's just a real complete player. I mean, it's going to be... It's going to be a real treat to see him, I'll tell you that. And for those that, like, you've only seen clips of him online, it's what you see online is just a small sample of everything. You're going to probably see a more bigger picture than, like, more than possibly what we've seen online. You know, it's going to be because we have we have something where we're able to go in and see more video clips of him. But at the same time, it's just ah, it's really crazy, man. I'm I'm happy. I'm absolutely happy that he's coming over right now. Yeah, no, and and the only thing I really have to say is there was a comment made on the article that I wrote uh, about how, you know, they don't see him being a top four player or top four defenseman for the Leafs because the way that Hall and, and Muzzin played together um, last season. And, I mean, I get where the the, the, the reader was coming from. Yeah. Um, that said, I just, I can't see Justin Hall kind of beating out a guy like Miko Lettinen um for for a spot and, and just that's coming from just the video that i've watched of miko letnin i just don't see it being the case you know that said they said if the, if if it was the case they'd come back and you know apologize to me at the same time if if you know justin hall beats out miko letnin i will i will return the favor um mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be shocked um but that said you know um you know any like I've said multiple times this episode, nothing will surprise me at this point in 2020. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my thing with that is is like I totally I totally agree. Justin Hall and Jake Muzzin played really well last year, but what's going to happen when Jake Muzzin isn't there? We saw a completely different Justin Hall. He wasn't the best at times. So my thing is, it, same thing could happen to Miko Lettinen. I mean, I mean, he's still fairly new to the league, but Justin Hall has that experience right now. He's got at least a year under his belt in the NHL. Again, we'll see. Don't know exactly what's going to happen, especially in terms of projections. Sheldon Keith has, you know, he's got his vision. He's going to figure out how he wants his team to be built up, especially on his defense right now. So it's going to be really interesting. Um, I, I still think that maybe Justin Hall does get moved. Mainly because two million, they still need to create some cap space. Pierre Engvall seems like another option as well. So, yeah, it's it, it's a good situation in Toronto. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And uh, just quickly before we jump over to our guest, um, 
one year since the Mike Babcock firing uh, this past week. Um, obviously, I think you know Toronto's obviously in a in a better place uh, in terms of making sure their players are are buying into you know uh, what what Keith is is putting together there in in uh, in with the Maple Leafs. Um, you know, I I think I think we it was time for Mike Babcock not just because of the allegations that were out there of, of how he kind of ran the team. But also I think, you know, at a certain point, certain coaches, especially those old, old school guys, they kind of expire with, with, with players. Um, these players don't buy into their systems as much and, and don't kind of buy into the bull crap that they bring to the team as well uh, in terms of, you know, how they motivate certain players. So I think, uh, you know, it'll be, um, It'll be interesting to 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 see what what Keith can put together as a you know a full time coach next year um, whenever that season does get underway. But I think uh, f- from my standpoint, I think the Maple Leafs are in a better place with uh, Sheldon Keith behind the bench. Yeah, and honestly, uh, Mark Masters had a really great article on Keith reflecting on his one year behind the Maple Leaf bench, and there are a lot of a lot of really great quotes. I really just can't pick one to. We'd be here for another hour if I spent uh, the time reading them. But, yeah, with, with Mike Babcock, things started to go south really quick last year. And when it did, it seemed like he didn't do anything to make any major changes of the course of where they were heading. And a difference in attitude before and after the firing. The players before looked really, you know, dejected. They weren't having fun. It seemed like, you know... Maybe they just lost sight of or maybe just started to tune them out. I don't know. But when you saw the firing happen, there was a sense of, uh, like, it became fun again for them. They didn't have to worry about, like, oh, like, yeah, you got to worry about X's and O's in hockey. But it seemed like they were being stymied and they had to play the system. Otherwise, it may not end well for them. They could be benched. It may get demoted and stuff like that. We again, I don't know. There was a lot of things going on in that in behind the scenes as well. But we've seen this happen before, where a coach just seemed out of touch with the way the game was going. They came back and they sort of adapted. And I'm talking about John Tortorella. Won a Stanley Cup. He's a hard nose in your face no-nonsense kind of coach to have on a bench. Sort of like after he won the Stanley Cup in Tampa Bay, things didn't start to go right. The game was changing. He was still in that old-school mentality, came back, and he's doing a really fantastic job with the Columbus Blue Jackets right now. So a coach can maybe take a year or two away, assess everything, see how things are playing out, and come back. Maybe the same could happen for Babcock. Maybe he finds, you know more of an incentive to play younger players in a close hockey game in game seven, instead of putting out a 38 year old veteran down by one goal, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to see what could happen with him. Maybe he comes back. Maybe he doesn't, we don't know, but that firing itself, I mean, it just, it was at a point where like when they were in that six, I think it was a six or seven game losing streak where is it going to happen today? Is it going to happen today? Is it going to happen next game? Is it going to happen the game after that? And I think Dubas just said, you know what? See ya. It's not coming out. It's not working out. Like, and it, you could say it falls on the players too, 
because like they're the ones that are like executing the system of the coach and they got to be better. But when the coach doesn't do anything to try and change everything around, it also plays that factor in as well. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think it'll be a, it'll be, like I said, it'll be an interesting year this year with, with the Maple Leafs. So when we do finally get started, um, I, I think the, I think Babcock has the potential to make it back to the NHL. Um, I, I think it's just a matter of needing some time off and, and kind mm-hmm. of understanding where the game is at and where the players are at at this point. Definitely. Um, that being said, uh, I'd like to throw it over to our guest now. We've got uh, the voice of the London Knights, uh, Mike Stubbs, coming on. Um, yeah, let's throw it over to uh, Mike Stubbs. All right, everybody. I'd like to welcome the radio voice of the London Knights and Global News Radio on 980 CFPL, Mike Stubbs, to the show. Mike, welcome, and thank you very much for coming on. Guys, great to be here. Um, obviously, I'll start it off. Uh, we're, we're a hockey podcast. You're you're the voice of the London Knights. Um, you know, one of the better major junior teams in terms of developing NHL talent. What's it like working for a, for a uh, uh, an organization like the London Knights? You know, when you finish work and you've had a really good day, and you're either driving home or walking home, and you just feel good. That's how most days are. (laughs) When you leave the rink and there has been a win on the board for a team that you get to be a passenger and a part of, it's it's pretty fulfilling. So it's absolutely been incredible. And and not just that. I mean, it's an education in how to run a major junior hockey team. It really is. Mark and Dale Hunter and their staff do a phenomenal job. It starts with hard work and you throw in a whole lot of talent and you have continued success year after year. It's not easy. It's not guaranteed, but they've made it work. Mike, you, you just mentioned about the feeling about, you know, coming home after a day of work and you have, you have that really great sense of feeling. Um, you're able to like you know call all these games with all these potential future stars up and coming right now. Does it feel surreal that you're able to call these games and sort of like live out the childhood dream of like some people that they want to be in the position that you're at right now? What I do, I'm lucky to do. And so it's an absolute dream to be able to do it. And you kind of, all, all I want is, is another one, another game. And <laughs> yeah. you kind of look at it that way. And it's, it's a lot of fun. You go back to 2016 and Keith Kachuk maybe had the most fun ride of anybody in that year when the London Knights won the Memorial Cup. They won it in Red Deer. And Matthew Kachuk was the guy who shot the puck in overtime and in it went. And that's all he would say. He'd say, I just, I just want this to keep going. And that's kind of how it feels. You just, you just want it to keep going. Mike, I had the opportunity to do uh, some of the Junior Knights games for Rogers here in London. And, uh, you know, just I did, I did some of the color, and it's not an easy job. Um, take us through what, it, uh, what it's like for you on a nightly basis, kind of getting ready to, you know, you know not, not really get a chance to take a breath, uh, especially in these high, you know, high, highly skilled, highly level games uh, with the London Knights. Well, you know, it, guys, it's just fun. It really is. And it comes down to, if you're looking at kind of what it takes to do a game, it just it comes down to a lot of the preparation and just the enjoyment of it. Colin Cowherd, who is a talk show host for Fox, 
he has this line that says, those who can truly say they have made it enjoy the preparation more than the fame. And I think it applies in so many different parts of life where you have to enjoy what you do, but you have to enjoy the grunt work side of it. You have to enjoy you know, learning and researching and memorizing and following and reading and all of that stuff. If you put that in, then the rest of it just comes easily. Mike, what has been your favorite call or sort of like your favorite moment following this London Knights team? <laughs> well, I mean, this London Knights team kind of provides you with one of those on a regular basis. You know, I've seen both ends. The first year that I did play-by-play -play for the London Knights, they went 360-3. and three. They won three games. They didn't win their first game until the night before the holiday break. That was a long time. Mm. And then I've been lucky enough to see the other side, where the 0405 team gets called the team of the century, or the 2016 team that won the, the Memorial Cup in overtime. But there have been there have been so many teams. And you know what one of my favorite times is? It, it's not necessarily doing games or, or making a call that, that you're just you're just lucky to do that. It's just being able to see how this works, being able to be around the team, the players. Uh, you get lucky enough to, to kind of be included in that atmosphere. And, and really, that's, that's the really fun side of this. I was going to say, uh, I've had the opportunity to sit with, uh, you know, through some of your press conferences. Obviously, you know, you're a great storyteller in terms of, uh, building up what the what the press conference is is all about, and um, you know, talk a little bit about what it's like being a part of such a I want to say a storied franchise, but not only a storied franchise, but a top end franchise in terms of how they treat their players. Well, I mean, when Mark and Dale Hunter took over the team in 2000, and the team had had successes before that, but if you want to look at at what this team has, has really elevated to, I think a lot of it does start with what they have done and, and what they have brought in. And a lot of organizations are like this, where it is like a, a, a master's class in what it would take to play pro hockey. And the players are treated professionally. Uh, the players are basically, you know, given the opportunity to, to come and play. And, and whether it's high school or college or university, be a part of that education. And the education, as much as it's a hockey education, not everybody's going to go on and play in the NHL or even make hockey a career. But what they learn in going through this can take them anywhere in life because if you can handle as a teenager being somebody that is under the the bright lights and in london you are in in london you've got quite a bit of media coverage you certainly have a lot of fans that are interested in what you are doing if you can handle that kind of pressure to skate out onto the ice in front of nine thousand people and perform game after game after game and deal with the rigors that come with major junior of education and and being away and traveling and all those sorts of things you can do anything in life and so i think that's been really something important that that has been instilled and 
there are a lot of organizations that do it around the league, but you know, as far as as maybe preparing professional hockey players, the things that you learn from Dale Hunter and his staff as a coach, that there are just the little tips and tricks that he knows. I have never met anyone who understands not just hockey players, but people as well as Dale Hunter does. And he just reads people so well and has the ability to, you know, to enhance what they do and say, okay, you know, if you tried it this way, try, try this. And then all of a sudden something will click. And Mark Hunter and, and his staff, they find these players and, and they see things in them. Some of the best stories have been two goaltenders who were picked up as free agents. Michael Hauser, who went on to win the Red Tilson Trophy, and Tyler Parsons, who went on to win the Memorial Cup. These are two guys that really weren't on anybody's radar. Michael Hauser was facing 50 shots a night in a very tiny town in the United States. And Mark Hunter would look and they'd be down 6-1. And yet Michael Hauser was still trying to make every single save in that game. Tyler Parsons was a guy who started as a roller hockey goalie at 12 years old and so got a late start and wasn't on the radar, but had that acrobatic athletic ability. And again, just a guy who competed. And that's something that certainly the, the organization does is, is competes as far as, you know, as far as trying to win games, but it's also it's also just basically trying to create good people and you've got a, a real family type atmosphere that comes from it and a lot of that comes from the upbringing that Mark and Dale Hunter have had. Their father Dick instilled family values and morals and, and those sorts of things trickle down. Running a family and running a hockey team, not a whole lot different. Mike, you just mentioned the family and people side of things regarding the Hunters. Um, I had the opportunity to attend the World Junior Selection Camp last year, and both Mark and Dale Hunter, when when they have something set in mind and they want to go and win, they mean business, no matter what the situation is. Is there something, or what do you see as something that fuels their fire and their desire to win? I think it, it just comes down to that healthy family competition growing up. I mean, there were four boys and two girls in their family, and whether it was touch football or whether it was hockey on a pond or whether it was, you know, maybe who could do the dishes the fastest, it was, it was kind of like that, where that healthy competition existed. They, they want to succeed, and that's what drives them, and, and literally that's what it is. It's, it's a desire to succeed. And it's something that they take a lot of time with. Uh, Dave Gagne had the best line. I mean, they come from a farming family, which helps to instill that work ethic. And, you know, if, if you're afraid of work, you're not going to make it very far in farming. And Dave Gagne says, you know, the conversations in the coach's room typically are 99% hockey and 1% farming. And it doesn't change. And they will go over every little detail. And, and all of it is about making players better or making a team better or finding ways and it's not an easy thing to do you've got 60 teams in major junior and when you look at last year during the world juniors you got the best of the best Mm -hmm. around the world and somehow they find ways from playing at the ice house uh, the old ice house uh, just south of the 401 here in london um to now you know playing in you name you you said it uh, a huge building with with so many fans that are so interested in what these players are able to bring to the ice. 
Um, is it that we've seen both Mark and Dale kind of leave the team for NHL jobs and, and, and come back? Is it that healthy competition that has kind of kept them, you know, in, in London and, and, and building this product with, you know, a group of young kids that have certainly developed into some of the top end talent in the game today? I think they just love what they do. And that's what it comes down to. And you're right. Both have been able to go to the National Hockey League. And even in doing so, you know, they they still had an eye on what was happening in London. And you almost become, you know, an extra set of eyes. And that's something that, you know, this has become the family business. And it's been an incredibly successful business. So I think it's just, it's simply, you know, what what they love to do. And this allows them to do it on a daily basis plus you know they've taken on the role where they could have purchased this team and just said okay we're the owners they could have hired a coach hired a general manager and gone that way they've said no we we want to be in this we we want to be a part of this we want to be doing this and and that's been a big part of it too um i just i just i just want to highlight a specific player from the london knights Connor mcmichael uh had an impressive season last year, finished third in OHL scoring and won a gold medal with Canada at the World Junior Championships and is looking to make it to this time around. Scored last night in the red versus white game. How is he able to elevate his game to new heights and be a such a phenomenal premier goal scorer and point producer at this point? As far as his offensive ability, if you talk with people who know a whole lot more about hockey than me, they will say things like, look at the the angle, the shooting angle that he will take. He has the ability to change that angle that his stick is at. And as a goaltender, that's a nightmare, especially Mm -hmm. at the junior level. That's something that NHL players can do and learn to do, but he just seems to do it naturally. And he's someone who has such a high hockey IQ that he can read the play. He knows what he's supposed to do. And in coming to London, you're going to learn how to play the defensive side of the game. You're going to learn how to be a two-way player because it's hard to get on the ice as a member of the Knights if you're not a two-way player. And he's somebody that embraced that from the start. So he's just he's turned into a complete player he's always had ability and then we talk about that development that exists within the london coaching staff a lot of what they do will have that pro readiness to it so if you're somebody that can exist in that kind of an atmosphere and thrive in a in a, an atmosphere where you know you're you're thinking that pro style you're paying attention to defense you know positioning on the ice then you're going to succeed when you get around some of those best players you know, at, at an even greater level. And he's going to be counted on by Team Canada to do, to do a whole lot this year, but he's the kind of guy that, that loves that. You know, what can I do? How do how do I help? How do, how do I get this done? So, yeah, he'll be one of those leaders for Team Canada this year for sure. What were your thoughts, uh, you know, seeing Liam Foody play uh, in that play-in round against uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs this past season? That was fun. That was absolutely fun to watch. Liam, same sort of thing, came in and embraced what it was like. He was a guy who, you know, when you're 16 years old and you play for the London Knights, you're going to notice that it's very rare for somebody that young to come in and be on one of the power play units or be getting big minutes. And it's part of a process that the Knights just kind of go through and just kind of part of the way that the team works in that 
you don't want to put a young player in a position where they're going to fail and hurt their confidence. And they're very cognizant of that in London, where let's let's teach. Let's make sure, because as a 16-year-old, you're coming in and you're playing guys who are 17, 18, 19, even 20 years old. It's a big jump. Sure, you've been the best player on your team forever, but right now, if, if you were thrown into certain situations, it wouldn't work, and you you know your, your confidence level would suffer. And so that's something that Liam really embraced. And in doing so, you know, he's grown and he's always got that weapon of speed and the Blue Jackets have loved that. But he's one of those examples of being pro ready, where if you have the ability to play at that next level, that you're going to come out of the London Knights organization ready for it. And I think that's a a really good example to highlight of how it can work. Andrew and I have talked about this quite a bit on this podcast, and obviously one issue surrounding the OHO is the no contact and even in the OJHO as well. Mike, I just want to get your take on what should the OHO do to try and avoid the whole no contact notion or from being a major issue in terms of the player's development? Well, I mean, discussions are going on, and I had a chance to speak with OHL Commissioner David Branch a couple of weeks ago, and And his response to that was that they've got a lot of things that they've got to deal with. First, one is the border. Two is not being able to have fans in the stands at this point. But that's certainly on the list. And here's my own opinion on it. If you look at it as play the game with no contact and you're going to be able to reduce the potential spread of COVID-19, I think I kind of describe it as if you have a bucket, and there's a hole in it. And instead of plugging the bucket hole, you're bailing out the water into a new bucket. Don't reinvent the game. You want to plug that hole. And in order to do that, it's it's not about taking body contact out of the game. It's about what happens leading up to the arrival onto the playing surface. If you look at the success of leagues that have had to basically play without a bubble or without a hub, Major League Baseball, the National Football League, uh, the QMJHL, what they have focused in on a lot is are the players, you know, in, in good health when they make it to the playing surface. And then if that's the case, then you don't have to worry about no contact because an open ice hit is probably, you know, you talk to the scientists, not going to transmit the virus or have a great opportunity to do so. But what about scrums along the boards? You know, that's where guys are close. So, and you can look at the game of women's hockey. And if you want to tell me that's not physical, I'll tell you you're not watching it right because it's an incredibly physical game. But instead of being, you know, head-to-head hits, it's side bumps and things like that, which, again, are bringing bodies close together. So the idea of no body contact, I wish that hadn't come out in the way that it did because I think that discussion would have changed a lot in behind the scenes, but it became a headline and it's become something that gets asked again and again and again. It's not about taking that out of the game. You can't change the game. You might as well not play it. But what you do is you ensure the safety of everybody to the best of your ability before they step onto the ice, and that's where you'll hope to achieve success. Mike, we talked. Peter and I discussed a little bit earlier in the episode about um, you know guys like Brant Clark and uh, Mason McTavish making that move overseas. Obviously, Clark's uh, contract didn't work out. 
that being said, with with the questions that kind of surround the OHL right now, um, do you see more potential for players to kind of go overseas and, and just get their feet going and get back onto the ice? I do, if you can find a spot, and that's that's the difficulty. There are fewer hockey jobs because you're trying to find places for players to play who aren't playing. And Brant Clark, Mason McTavish, the London Knights have had Logan Mayu go over to Sweden. There are a couple of players from the Western Hockey League that have done this. They're all you know in the same boat in that it's their draft year, and they want to make sure that if you're going to move up the charts, you give yourself an opportunity to do so because a lot of these guys are really good players, but you don't have a great sample size. I mean, Brant Clark had an excellent second half last year. He wants to build on that. He wants to show that he can be an even higher pick than maybe where he's rated. How do you do that if you're not playing? So certainly it's it's an opportunity for them. It's just more so to get showings for scouts, I think, and, and that's important. And here's hoping that come February 4th, they can be doing that in the OHL. Well, Mike, I think that's uh, that's kind of all we, we had for you today. Obviously, we don't want to take up too much of your time. And, um, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to get you on. Mm-hmm. We appreciate you coming on and discussing, you know, obviously your role and the London Knights uh, with us. Um, and hopefully the OHL season gets underway soon and, and we can uh, get you on again at some point. Hey, I'd love it. Anytime. Thank you very much, Mike. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Keep safe, guys. You as well. You too. Well, Peter, another great interview. Uh, you know, I just love getting all these different insights and and, and people onto our show. Um, you know, Mike's been around the London Knights for some time. Obviously, one of the one of the top major junior teams here in Ontario um, and in Canada in, in terms of developing the players into NHL caliber players. Um, and Mike's kind of had an inside look into that. Um, but uh, yeah, solid, solid guy and and a great, uh, great interview altogether. I mean, yeah. I mean, j- just the perspective that he talked about and everything, it's just so it's it's amazing it really is amazing and to be a part of that organization especially to be that close to the hunters and be a part of that organization and talk with them on a daily basis it really is it really is something and i'm just going to say this every single time i played it like when might be a pro i would always go london nights to start up and then work my way up why the rich history and you know it's very synonymous it's one of the best developmenting teams in the OHL right now, and it, there's a reason why. Yeah, no, 100. percent And uh, I've been fortunate fortunate enough to see that firsthand here in London. Um, that being said, I think that uh, does it for this week's episode of Sticks in the Six. Um, I, I didn't mention it off the top, but uh, we've got some exciting stuff going on behind the scenes, uh, looking at some potential uh, sponsorship uh, things going on with uh, you know different different companies and mm-hmm. and hopefully we'll be announcing that uh, at some point soon um shout out to our aussie friends as we made it onto uh, yes. the top 300 hockey podcasts in australia debuted at number 71 so exciting for us exciting for you guys uh keep it coming um what do you have to kind of close us out here uh peter um just stay safe just stay safe i mean i had a I'm at the point now where I'm having a COVID-19 birthday, so it's coming up. Um, actually, it's already going to happen when this episode is already out. I already had an early birthday dinner. Um, I mean, 
it's not the situation that we want. We all want to be out celebrating birthdays, getting out together with friends. Just do the right thing. Like we're we're so, um I mean, we were so close in September when cases were very minimal and the fatigue factor came in. Just do the responsible thing. That's all I'm, I'm going to say. It's it's again, it's difficult. We haven't been in something like this. But the longer that you don't follow the rules, the more we're all going to have to go back and take another step back. And we don't want to do that. We want to go forward. We want to get back to those under 100 cases so we can try and get closer to the fact that, you know what, once a vaccine does become available, then it's going to be easier to get past this. 110%. We want to get back out there seeing people, you know, um get out of this lockdown especially with the cold weather coming uh you know it's just going to get worse and worse but um like peter said stay safe uh you know we've got you guys every week if you want to you know tune in and and talk some hockey hit us up on twitter um you know subscribe review rate do what you need to do to help us uh you know gain a little bit uh, more more uh i guess listenership is not even a word but you know get, get some more <laughs> listeners out there um otherwise we'll talk to you next week uh let's let's hope for a, a nice big um uh, week of hockey news and and we'll we'll break that down for you next week absolutely have a good one